Anybody feeling grateful today? Two? Awesome. Me too. I, I really am. I'm grateful today because um, I'm grateful for my dad, and I'm grateful for all the men of Heart of Life who have a godly influence um, upon um, this body as we walk out the mission together. Um, today, I'm, I'm grateful for people who can't uh, be at their own church sometimes because they're making impacts in other places. Today, I'm grateful for the, a rocked world team who can't be here because they're, they're at another church sharing the good news of Jesus. I'm grateful for those 50 who are uh, on buses this morning. They wish they were here instead of on a, on a bus for the next, you know, 12 hours headed, headed south. But those kids are going to be involved in such cool stuff this week that they are not just at camp. It is on mission. And when I say mission, it's some crazy stuff they get to be a part of. The numbers are actually a little low this year, a little bit of going to camp because a lot of those students who often go to camp instead this year are doing uh, Taiwan trips or they're going to Togo. So the fact is they're just taking some next steps of, of just some crazy, God, what do you want us to do? I'm grateful for that. I, I found myself laughing a while ago when dad has to make the toilet paper roll announcement about Togo. You never know what you're going to have to announce. And for some reason, when he's making that announcement, I have this view of the security agent at the airport when the suitcase rolls through with 400 toilet paper rolls in it. Like, this looks kind of fishy. I don't know what this would be, but that, that's going to be fun. I am proud of so many of you um, for just the steps that you're taking right now in your life, being on mission, the whole financial peace thing. Um, we just had crazy first steps last week of all campuses and even on Tuesday night of people just jumping in where we really need to see um, some growth in our lives. Welcome today to week six of Put Me In Coach, which is a study really in the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you find Acts. And the way I'm describing this is this is kind of like um, my goal is to give you almost a 30,000-foot view of the book of Acts. We're not stopping at every single story to pick it apart this time. There's, there's a moment to do that. There's a place to do that. But I want you to see just the big picture of what happens to the church. So I want to start by thinking about it this way today. Here you are. You are gathered with the church today. You have access to a Bible. Now, maybe it's not one with a piece of leather around it, but any of you right now could pick up your phone, push a button or two, and you got access to a Bible. We have just multiple ways that we have access to it. Um, most everybody in the room today knows something about Jesus, and some of us in the room today know Jesus, and my question is, how'd this happen? Like, how, how, did, how did that get here? How, how, did, how did we get connected to all that? And what I'm going to do today is a huge piece of the story that explains how that all took place. It started when Jesus said to those first disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But so far in our study, we haven't gotten out of Jerusalem. We're seven chapters deep and we're still in Jerusalem. But now, some really disturbing things start to happen. Up until this point, there have been threats for those who are Jesus followers. A night in prison, some more threats, maybe another night in prison. But now everything has changed because a follower named Stephen has been murdered. He's murdered because he belongs to Jesus. That's where we pick up the story. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Here's what it says. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great, what's the next word? Persecution. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were what? Scattered. Where? Scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, wait a minute. We've heard those two places before. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Here we go. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. Now, Samaria is about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. And we have a way of thinking that's not very far. Um, that wouldn't take very long in your Mustang. But in that day, how long it took to get there really did depend on horsepower, literally. What, what were you on? What were you riding? How long did it take to get there? Uh, Philip goes to Samaria, and supernatural stuff happens. The good news of Jesus is shared, and guess what? The Samaritans believe in Jesus. Now, come on, you know this from, if you've been around here very long, there's some crazy prejudice stuff that goes on between the Jews and the Samaritans. To say that they didn't like each other is like the understatement of the year. But now Samaritans are believing in Jesus. Word gets back to Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem says, we need to send the big boys to make sure that this is really what's going on. And so Peter and John are sent to Samaria to, to, to see. And sure enough, it's the same good news of Jesus that's being proclaimed. And these people really are becoming followers of him. And then it says in verse 25, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. But here's a part of the story, honestly, that I honestly never paid attention to before. Preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. I've never seen that before. I've always gotten the story that Philip, he was one of the seven, right? He, he, he goes and, and he's... he's, he's preaching in Samaria, and then Peter and John go check it out, but 
On the way back, they don't say, okay, what's the, what's the shortest route? No, they start zigzagging from village to village in Samaria, and they're preaching the good news of Jesus. We're told next that Philip gets word now to go south. He's told to go south of Jerusalem on the desert road toward Gaza. On the way, he meets an Ethiopian. It's like, go figure. What's the odds? This Ethiopian apparently is quite the official because he was in charge of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. We're told that he had been to Jerusalem. He was on his way back home. And there he is, sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah. And Philip is told to approach him. The Ethiopian says, I don't know what I'm reading here. Philip says, I know what you're reading. It's all about Jesus. And the man believes in Jesus, and he's ready to be baptized right then. And it says in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch, that's the Ethiopian, did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. All right, here's what I want to do today. I want to give you a few things that you can see with your eyes that hopefully then there are some things you can see with your heart that out of that there'll be some things you can see with your life. So I want you to look at this map. This is Philip's journey. So he's in Jerusalem, and then he's sent to Samaria, and then back to Jerusalem, the desert road toward Gaza, we're told. Then he hits Azotus, which is, which is Ashdod, same. And then it says that he hits all the, the villages as he goes to Joppa, as he goes to Caesarea. Here's my point. We ain't in Jerusalem anymore. We're not just in Jerusalem anymore, are we? And this is just one man's journey. Let me show you what I mean. You turn the chapter of your Bible to chapter 9, and you are introduced a little bit more to this man named Saul. Now, we've already heard of him, right? He was the one who gave approval to, to, to Stephen's death. And if, if you know the story, um, if you don't know the story, I suppose I'm saying, you, you got to read all this stuff in detail this week. Take some time. Read what happened. But the story is, here's Saul going after the believers. And it says he wasn't partial. Men, women, he'd go to their houses, drag them out. The, the goal was to shame them to the whole community and put them in prison. He gets, he gets permission to go to a place called Damascus and do the same thing. Damascus is about 135 miles by air. So by horsepower or even by walking, this could have taken weeks to get there. It's that kind of territory. On his way, Saul gets knocked off his horse by Jesus. And Jesus speaks to him in that moment. 
And there's so much to this story. He's blinded by the light that he sees. There's this guy named Ananias that God um, says needs to connect with Saul. And Ananias is afraid, just like we all would be. And I, I just, there's so much of the story that I can't tell you. Like Ananias, Ananias is so much like us because he's like, God, are you sure? Are you sure? That's so much like me. That's so much like you, right? Like there's ever going to be this moment when God goes, oh, my bad. Thank me for you. I was about to jam this whole thing up, right? I mean, but that's how we are. The, the whole connection happens. Saul puts his trust in Jesus, and God declares that Saul is going to lead the mission to the Gentiles. In other words, the people who didn't grow up in church. So he starts sharing the good news of Jesus right where he is in Damascus. And it says in verse 22 of chapter 9, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Now this is the same guy. Just like days before, he's persecuting. Now he's saying Jesus is the one. After many days had gone by, check this out, there was a, a what? A conspiracy among the Jews to what? Kill him. To kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night he kept close watch on the city gates, and they kept watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Why did he have to leave? They wanted to kill him. So he goes to Jerusalem. It's like, let's, let's connect Saul to the big boys back in Jerusalem. Well, the big boys back in Jerusalem are scared of him too. They got to work through that whole process. But then it says in verse 28, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to, what? Kill him. They try to kill him too. Let me give you another map. So Saul is in Jerusalem. He heads to Damascus. Jesus interrupts. Back to Jerusalem. Right? From Jerusalem, it says he moves to Caesarea and then to Tarsus, which is where he's from. Anybody notice what's happening to the map? It just keeps getting bigger. It keeps getting bigger. And that's not all. Because we also know that the apostle Peter is in the mix of all this. And he begins to show up here again in chapter 9. We're told that he travels to a place called Lydda where he goes to see the believers. He wants to go see some of the followers of Jesus. There's a paralyzed man there. Peter deals with the situation. There's a healing and many people believe. And then it says in chapter, or chap not chapter 9, verse 36, it says, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. Now, I'm just going to say this and move on. Wouldn't you probably just go with Tabby if you needed, like, a, another name? You know what I'm saying? Let's, we'll just go with Tabby. That'd probably, that'd, that'd probably be where we land, all right? Now check this out. She was doing good and helping the poor. 
That sounds like the kind of person we want in our church. Doing good, helping the poor, she's not afraid to get messy. About that time, she became, what? Sick and she died. Like, you mean this, this lady who's like doing good? Like, like one of the best ones. She's obviously generous with her life. She gets sick and she dies. Can I tell you, we deal with this stuff in our church often, right? People who, who pour their lives out. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, God, I, I, I got a list of some others that I'd rather see you take first. Because they they're not doing anything but sitting and soaking. And eventually they sour. Here's a lady on the field, and now she's gone. And so what we hear is the believers in Joppa hear that Peter isn't far away in Lydda, and so they go get him. Peter arrives, and you just gotta read these stories. Tabby is raised from the dead. And more people believe and follow Jesus. Then Peter's instructed to head towards Caesarea, 55 miles northwest of Jerusalem. He encounters, that's where he encounters Cornelius. Some of you know that story. Cornelius is a Gentile. His whole family, his whole household put their trust in Jesus. And all of a sudden, the gospel is not just crossing county lines anymore. It's crossing ethnic lines. We got our first Italian convert. Look at the map. Peter to Samaria. Remember when Philip goes, Peter goes, he preaches in the villages all the way back, then to Lydda, then to Joppa, and then it says he preaches in all the villages on his way to Caesarea. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. I got just one more map, and I'm done. All right, one more map, no more maps. Check it out now. Now, where did we start? We, we started right there that was it and now Cyprus and Phoenicia and Antioch and we've even got believers in Cyrene who are who are joining to help with what's going on to the Greeks come on what an amazing explosion of the gospel the news of Jesus moving forward with remarkable speed and impact. But is anybody else paying attention to what seems to be coming along with all this? Anybody forget? Stephen lost his life. He was murdered. 
took care of widows. He had great faith. And he died. Saul, in the middle of all this, he's persecuting believers in Jesus, dragging them out of their houses, wanting to shame them, putting them in prison. And then, the moment that he becomes a follower of Jesus, he becomes the persecuted. And in just the few verses that I've read to you today, already twice, they want him dead. Tabitha. She helps the poor. She dies. Granted, she came back to life, but I'm in the middle of it. She dies. It doesn't stop. Because when you turn to chapter 12, which I encourage you to read this week, King Herod is arresting and persecuting believers. And he has James, as in the brother of John. You know, James and John, the, the, the sons of thunder, the, the, the two of the disciples, he's, he's one of the original, the, the followers of Jesus. He has him killed. And the Bible says that the, the people of the city applauded Herod. And so he just stayed after him. He arrests Peter, puts Peter in prison. It's interesting to me that though this time he puts four squads of soldiers on Peter. <laughs> Why would you put four squads of soldiers on this ignorant fisherman? <laughs> it's because they can't seem to keep him in prison when they put him there. He keeps walking out. And this time he does again. An angel shows up. And Peter walks out of the prison. But listen to me, eventually Peter dies for his faith. Crucified, upside down. And he had a family. He had a family. We know. He had a mother-in-law. Means he's married. He's got family. Man. An amazing explosion of the gospel. The news of Jesus moving forward with remarkable speed and impact and along with it so much pain and struggle and loss. When people start acting shocked that bad things happen, to not just good people, but to good Jesus-following people. You know, people who help the widows, people who help the poor, people who commit their lives to taking the good news of Jesus to the difficult places. When people start acting shocked that bad things can happen to those types of people, then I know they don't read their Bible. Because <laughs> if you read your Bible, Story after story, it's what happened. Now, here's what I'm saying. If you haven't seen this yet in your life, I, I'm just, I'm almost confident there's going to be a moment when you will. For many of you, you have already arrived at this point. For some of you, you're still wrestling with this point. There will come a time for you when you will struggle with how to reconcile the apparent chaos and pain and suffering going on around you. How do you reconcile that 
with a God who says he loves us. Now the truth, I believe he does love us. And the truth, I believe God governs the chaos. He does. But come on, can we just be honest and go sometimes we are left perplexed? Sometimes we are left with this, Lord, Stephen, really? You're going to take Stephen? He helps the widows. Come on, God. Couldn't you take one of your grumpy ones home? Couldn't you take one of your selfish ones home? Because you know what? Where they're going, there won't be anything to complain about. And we won't have to listen to them anymore. It's a win-win. God, couldn't you have taken one of those? Now, come on, God's sovereign over all, even death. And he is good in it all. But if God is good, then how can you explain some of this? And this is my answer. I can't. I can't explain some of it. I've been to school a lot of years. I have. I should be smarter from the number of years that I've been to school. But I at least have learned a few things and probably almost 25 years ago in the school. I've read a ton of stuff in my lifetime. A lot. I've had the privilege of going to a lot of places in this world. I've seen some incredible experiences from, from the remarkably beautif- beautiful to the horrifying worst. I'm saying I've had access to a lot. But who am I compared to an eternal God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who always has been and the one who always will be, how can I possibly comprehend all of him? And I can't. Just like there is a gap between you and an infant that perhaps is in the nursery right now. There's a gap between how you see life. Would you agree? There's a gap between you and the smallest infant in this place today. How much more a gap between you and God? I shouldn't be able to understand all that he does. I shouldn't. If he's that big of a God, and he really is, that I'm not going to get my head around all of that. But I absolutely trust his goodness. And every time you ask me why, I will point to a cross. And I will shout to you that my God is for me, not against me. And it has always been seen true in Jesus. So is there stuff I cannot explain? Yep. Because he's God and I'm not. But he is good. And the cross proved it once and for all. He loves me and he's for me. I'm going to trust him in what I don't 
understand. But here's why I think this is such a wrestling match for me and maybe for you. It's because we live in the middle of a culture that has very little, if any, foresight into tomorrow. We're about today. We're about today. Let me give you an example. Debt. Debt. It's, it's like, I, I really am so proud of many of you for going after financial peace right now, this season, this summer. We're going after it as a church. Man, it was a big old crowd here gathered, like, like 25 to 30 couples, I think, or households gathered here. And then there was, there was, there was like, you know, uh, 60 folks or so in, in uh, Lee Summit. There was like 20-something in, in Adrian. There was another crowd, 20-something, I think, on Tuesday. I mean, there's a lot of households who are jumping into this thing. But one of the funny things that I thought through this week is, wouldn't it be weird to have to describe to our brothers and sisters that we are all connected to in other parts of the world where we go to take the good news of Jesus or we try to help care for the orphans who don't have any food. Can you imagine trying to describe Financial Peace University to them? And going, here's why we're going through it. And they're going, what? What? And here's the reason. So many of us, we find ourselves slaves to the gods of comfort and today. And we just keep feeding those gods of comfort and today, and they just keep betraying us. Listen to me. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. So what, he said it. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then we read Acts, and there's story after story after story of people who are absolutely in the center of God's will, but they experience pain. But then we gather, and as soon as something is a struggle in our life, we start shouting, what have we done wrong? <laughs> what have we done wrong that we would experience pain? And we got a bad tendency of equating any struggle with being outside of God's will. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous. Now, we got our verses. We got our verses that we like to equip ourselves with, like this, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Fantastic text of Scripture. Love it. But here's what I'm reminding you today. That verse is true. Not just if you prosper out of whatever struggle you're in right now. That verse is still true, even if you don't prosper. That verse is still true, even if you don't live through whatever sickness you're battling with right now. If you live, do you realize how much you were just robbed of? And the answer is, no, we don't. 
Because see, we, we deal with sickness in, in our prayers, certainly to get well. And we go, God works for the good of those who, who love him. He always does. And, but we really tend to evaluate that on if we get well. And I'm saying, if you got well and you didn't go to heaven, do you realize what you just got robbed of? And the answer is no, we don't. Because we play for today. We play for today. We go, I know, but there's so much that I want to, to be here for and experience. Hey, I hear you. My heart right now is kind of angling towards September. Um, or when I'm, I'm hoping to, to hold my first grandbaby, my heart's kind of leaning that direction. But can I tell you something? As beautiful, as precious as grandbabies are, grandbabies don't compare to the glory of God. Well, that's not a very nice thing to say. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is if you could just see his glory. Yeah, it is if you could just see his glory. There's a place in the Bible where Saul, becomes Paul, refers to this present body as a tent. He says it's like a tent. It's temporary, all right? It's like we're camping, but this ain't our home, right? Because it's temporary. We still get tired and we get, and we get sick and it, it wears down. There's something better on the way. Here's what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. I love this. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that, check out this line, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Like, wait, 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 wait. Because I thought when you use the word mortal, you're talking about life. And we do. When, when, when we use the word mortal, we're talking about living. So Paul says, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. In other words, is anybody paying attention? There is a type of life that is greater than the life that you and I are now walking in right now. There's a greater life. It's going to be so much better. No more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. We're, the, Isaiah even tells us we're not going to remember the sorrow of today. Whatever it costs us to be on this mission that God's called us to, whatever we have to endure, we're, we're not, that's not going to linger with us there. We're going to remember what causes us to celebrate God's goodness because for followers of Jesus, bad days really do often lead to better days but always lead to perfect days. It's called heaven. This is why, people, the prosperity gospel seems so absolutely crazy to me. And I, I truly am continually shocked at how people believe in a gospel that says, if you trust in Jesus, then your life will have no more pain and, and sorrow, you, you will prosper in every way. I don't get that at all. Does God want to bless you? Yes, he does. But sometimes blessing is not giving me what I want. Sometimes blessing is me doing without. Do, here's what I do believe. You're going to prosper in this way. You ready? God will sustain you in all circumstances. Did you hear me? God will sustain you in all circumstances. He just will. 
And I got tons of moments that I could draw on to tell you. Hospital rooms, gravesides, you name it. I'm telling you, God will sustain you. And you're like, oh, I don't know, because I, I just, there are some things that, that to have to go through them, I just can't imagine. Then don't. Don't. Don't dwell there. And I'm telling you, when you need it, it will be there because he is there. And he's already there now. He's already there now. I know it looks chaotic, but it is never chaotic to God. He never drives an ambulance. He never shows up after the fact to put things back together. He's already there. He governs even the chaos. And then I just want to end with this thought. It is the second big aspect of all these chapters. I've never preached such a giant piece of scripture before, but I'm hoping that today you can see why. Here's the second thing out of all this story. The mission of God to declare the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth cannot, cannot be stopped. Regardless of the opposition. What you see in these four chapters or so that we have run through today and what we see throughout Christian history is that those who wish to destroy the Christian faith, the harder they press, the more Christianity grows. Every single time. Rome is who's on the pages of history as we're reading the book of Acts. Rome, who desires to crush Christianity. Do you know what they did to our brothers and sisters in the faith? They fed them to the lions, they sawed them in two, they boiled them alive, they beheaded them, they crucified them upside down. But by 351 AD, 51% of the Roman Empire, it is estimated 350 million of them called themselves followers of Jesus. The harder you press, the more we grow. We've seen it happen throughout communism. We've seen it happen in China. The harder you press, the more we grow. And it has always been the case. The mission of God will not be stopped. I'm convinced that it is probably likely you and I are in far greater spiritual danger than our brothers and sisters around the world where the cost of following Jesus today is that it could end in their death or in torture. And the reason I think we're in greater danger is because typically on most weeks, unless some part of our gods of comfort or today have been threatened, then we don't typically walk into this place together with a desperation for God to speak and for God to move in our lives. It's usually about coffee and comfy chairs and the right temperature and do I like the songs and did he say something to inspire me? And we are lulled to sleep by a constant lullaby. Go to sleep. A long time ago, the prophet told us what would happen. 
The prophet Habakkuk said in chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I love that. He said, this is what's going to happen. God's glory, his greatness, it's going to cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. You mark it down. This is what God's about. And you know what? This is why this is our mission. What's the mission of the Heart of Life Church? We declare God's greatness. That's his glory. Why? Because that's what he's about. He wants his glory known throughout the whole world. And so our mission is to declare God's greatness in every culture through Jesus' life. Why? Because it's going to happen. God said, this is what's going to happen. He's all about his glory, and we get to be a part. So here's my invitation to you today. You want to risk Because come on, we live in a culture where everybody's wanting to risk. It's like everybody's trying something new. It's like this desire to risk. You want to risk, you don't have to jump out of a plane. We'll send you. We'll send you to a part of the world where you can risk for eternal rewards. This week, I got to talk to Larry Vass for a little bit. He's on the bus today, headed toward Mobile, but I got to talk to Larry Vass. He's, he's one of our missionaries in Taiwan. He's a retired school teacher, and I'm just listening to Larry. His heart was literally just overflowing as he's telling me stories about God's greatness, and as he's talking on the inside of me, I'm just smiling, and I'm thinking, here's a man who's not collecting shells in retirement. He's collecting treasure that will be kept in heaven and never fade away. You want to risk? Oh, my goodness. We can send you. You want to spend your money on some bold hobbies? Because that's kind of the culture we live in. I'm saying let's spend our resources together and pursue the vision that God has given us, that vision that God has laid out, we believe, for, for Heart of Life when, when he started it all right here and then he began to, ex- to expand that toward the picture of the campuses that, that he could grow and from that a circle of influence that then could reach to the ends of the earth. I'm saying, come on, let, you want to spend your money on bold hobbies, let's put the resources together and let's go after the boldest thing that I know of anywhere in the world. Come on, we, we celebrate God's goodness and the way he continues to bless us, but it's like Lewisburg's still sitting out there. We keep praying and we still, we keep looking. I look at what's going on in the vault right now. It's like we're, on some days there's like 50 middle schoolers showing up in the afternoon. It's like, I wonder... I wonder if we should do some of that in some of the other cities where God's put us. I wonder. And if it is, then come on. Is there anybody in the house that that really thinks that's all that big after you've read the book of Acts? Is there anybody that, that would really think it's okay for us just to go, you know what? this has been a good ride. It's okay to just kind of settle and let's take care of each other. Is there really anybody that could say that after reading the book of Acts? I'm saying, let's go after it. You want to be a part of a great adventure? Some of us might need to turn off the television 
and stop watching quite as much Marvel and let's join the mission of God and be marveled by his mighty hand where the good news of Jesus will never, ever stop. I'm telling you, if there's one thing I can guarantee today, this is it. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the sea, like the waters cover the sea. And you are invited to play. Put me in. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. God, I thank you for allowing us to take God just of you today to see, I hope, God, by the power of your spirit, just what you did with your church. God, a mission moving forward with crazy boldness. And yet in the middle of all that, God, for us to be honest and have real eyes that can see the struggle, the pain, the loss that was in the middle of all that. God, I'm asking that you would turn our eyes, turn our hearts away from the gods of comfort and today, and that our hearts really would be set on you. God, protect us from those moments where, where we want to equate comfort with being at the center of your will always. God, give us real eyes that can see. God, awaken us from the constant lullaby. God, thank you for a church that believes such a mission. And I'm not just, God, saying stuff. You know it this morning when I'm, when I'm grateful for a team of, of drama folks who are in another place today sharing good news. I'm grateful for those 50 folks who are headed toward Mobile for a crazy mission this week. I'm, I'm grateful for a team headed to Togo for what you're doing in Taiwan. God, what's happening at the vault? So incredibly cool, right here. God, right here where we live. God, there's some of us in this room today who for much of our life have always said, we wanna see something, we wanna see something, we wanna see something here. And God, now it's time for us to pour our lives into what you're doing here. So God, I'm asking that hearts could be stirred today, that lives could be surrendered today. God, that people would begin to step today to get involved, God, to serve, whether it's right here or the other side of the planet. You have called us to play on a mission that will not be stopped. We celebrate it today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together.